Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Without My Sister. So this is the second part of our careers series, if you can call two episodes a series. And the last one we talked about my job career trajectory to get to where I am today. And today we're going to talk about Rosemary. And so I'm going to ask some very insightful questions of my sister designed to get to the bottom of what social media actually means. And we're going to discover that despite the fact that she has worked for some epic names such as the Irish Times and other things that I can't remember that she's going to mention, she nonetheless considers herself not yet to have achieved the full heights of her potential. And I would just like to say that that is because she is really a very big complainer. And with that, let's go. Jealous all you along. were that successful. So, Rosemary, on that note, you were that successful. It's just I now that now you I've don't no have job. a job. <laughs> <laughs> you were, and, and you're highly educated, much more educated than I am, although I do read much more intelligent books than you now. Right? Isn't that true? Don't roll your eyes. Your eyes are literally going to pop out of your head at the end of this. So, you went to college for English. I know. So, so, so I had kind of a like a messy end to secondary school because I basically did transition year, which was optional in our school, loved transition year, hated going back to fifth and sixth year and like the kind of formulaic box ticking of you have to do your leaving now. Hated going from transition year where, where our school, I, and I think this was like very, very bad of them, but they gave us a certain amount of freedom. Like we didn't have to ask to go to the, to the bathroom anymore in that transition year. We were just allowed to go. And then I suddenly went back in fifth year and hated having to ask to go to the loo, hated being told what to do. I remember one day one of the teachers stopped me in the hall and told me to pick up a tissue that was on the floor. And I went, oh, that's not mine. And she went, I didn't ask you whose it was. I asked you to pick it up. And I was like, I'm, I'm not picking up someone else's dirty tissue. And she was like, pick it up. And I was like, no. It was like that kind of shit that I then just got into loads of trouble. And I remember But that's when I actually gross leaves, in fairness. It was so gross. Yeah, I remember okay. when, when, when I got my leaving cert results, our, our year head came up to me then and went, now, are you surprised? What? Like as in, yeah, like as in surprised that you did so well. And I was like, no, I always knew I was clever. Oh. I was just being a dickhead. Oh, like, I thought you meant are you surprised you did so badly? No, 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 no. He was going like, you know, what was like my, my biology teacher as well kept trying to get me to drop down to pass biology. She was like, you're never going to pass honours. <laughs> you just, just must look really stupid. <laughs> No, it was just because I because I got really bold and I like kept coming back late from lunch because oh. I was like off at my boyfriend's house snogging him. Like I was just a total brat. And you had a but... much more exciting teendom than I did, I have to say. I, I literally did. was like, I, I mean, Nash asked me the other day, he was like, mom, you know, how many times did you, you know, Mitch or whatever, like what, what's it, bunk off school? And Don's like, oh, so much. I barely went to school. I was like, never. I was like, I literally never, ever, ever did. Ever. I was so boringly good. Ever. You did multiple times. You smoked behind the shed in school. Oh, yeah, no, no. Sorry, I totally smoked. Yeah, you bumped off down the local fields. I went drinking drinking in the fields and got caught by the guards. 
Oh, I used my to God. go down the village at lunchtime when I wasn't supposed to, like, like sneak out of school, which is bad. Actually, I remember that. But and do you remember one of mom's friends saw you and then reported yes. back to mom? And then mom yes. said, "What did mom say to you?" No, it wasn't actually. It was I told you. Oh yeah, and you reported back to mom. <laughs> yeah, it was me. And then I thought it was mom's. Friend. I was like, I was like, oh my god, it was Brona, wasn't it? And mom oh was like, my god, it's Brona. And I was like, dick. it was. Oh yeah. my god, what it didn't a even occur to me that it was sister. you. Anyway, so so after after I did my leaving, I was really like all over the place, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I applied for arts in Maynooth only because if you got over 500 points and you got accepted to Maynooth, you got a thousand euro. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I but then when it came to it, I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to do this. So I took a year out then while I was kind of figuring it out and I worked in. Urban Outfitters and then I worked in Zara for six a months. mom was determined that you were going to become the shop manager in Zara. Well, she was determined. I was, but then she was also determined that I was going to become a civil servant to get a nice pensionable job. because She I, was actually obsessed with getting you into the civil service. She, she was because <laughs> I had applied. You know, you know, they do these applications like you can apply oh. to go into the pool to be a clerical officer. So I had applied yeah. for this job like like basically the minute my leaving cert exams were over. And then I finally got offered a job the following, I think, March or April. And I was working at Zara at the time, which I quite, I actually quite liked. And the pay I think was you were very, really good. You were very good at it because you were also really like, people are going to be surprised to hear this, very honest. Like, you know, and it's so annoying, you know, when you go in, and that's why you were good in Brand Thomas as well. Because, you know, when people yeah. go in, you're like, oh, is this nice? I mean, they're like, oh, my God, you look gorgeous. You're like, I, I look at like, just go away if you're not going to give me decent feedback. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas I was always kind of going, hmm, that's nice. Why don't you try this one? And I'd like yeah. bring them something else that like basically I wanted to buy but couldn't afford. Yeah, because I worked in Brown Thomas. And I, said, I think, did I work in Brown Thomas? And then I worked in Urban Outfitters. I hated Brown Thomas. And then I worked in Zara. And then I got the job in the civil service. So I left Zara because, well, like, I don't really know why I left Zara. Because I did like it. But then the bosses were kind of maniacs. You like hated the, the bosses. You hated the bosses. You have a problem the with those higher managers. Do you know yeah, what? I do. Do you actually know what I've just realized as you're talking? What? And this is going back to episode one and now I'm in a rage again. Mother is trying to craft a tiny Claire McCabe out of you. She worked in Brown Thomas and loved it and talks all the time about how they took the Brown Thomas label and sewed. Oh, no, it wasn't oh, her. Sewed them into their Penny's Somebody clothes. Somebody else sewed them into their Penny's clothes. Well, I don't think Penny exists, but like, yeah, they're regular clothes. And then she worked in the civil service. She Literally. Did. And, and she has and, never, I swear to God. She saw me off at the airport to Milan and just went, bye, pet. <laughs> you know what? Like, despite the fact that I have the patience of, like, I don't know, like a very belligerent cat. She seems to, like, always on at me about how I should have become a primary school teacher. Always, like, oh, the holidays would be great. You are, like, you are. <laughs> Yeah, but I'd be crap. Like, I've no patience. I think you'd be good. You're good with the kids. Oh, no. No, no, no. I just, I don't understand after you tell them something once. I'm like, oh, like, like what are you not getting? I already told you that. I don't. Oh, no. I've, no. Anyway. I did actually say the, to my kids yesterday, though. I did actually say to them yesterday. I said to my poor six-year-old, I said, which part of pick that up did you not understand? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm turning into dad. I need to really watch it. Like, it's so mean to talk to my poor six-year-old like that. Now, he's really bold, know. I have to admit. So, like, only after I gave him a slap around the head did he cop on. No, no, that's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> Certain things you shouldn't joke about. Anyway, I know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So I, I took this year out. I worked in the civil service. I fucking broke my arm, and <gasps> then ended up having. 
Oh my God, was that when we went on the holiday with your broken arm? <laughs> Do you have that picture? Yes. I, I, I actually have a photograph of the two of us sunbathing and I had no top on because I was fucking obsessed with going topless that summer in front of our dad and our uncle. Maybe you were just trying to make sure that the amount of coverage that you normally would have like was already taken up by the cast on your arm. Oh. And I'm basically covering my tits with my book, which I'm sure is some terrible... If I, if I only zoomed in, I'm sure it's some terrible, like, damning indictment of my intelligence levels. And then I have my cast hanging limply beside me. <laughs> anyway, so I broke my arm on the oh, neighbor's no, sorry, driveway. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry. That's not the story. So, in the sea. We're going to get to that in a minute. Oh, but I just okay. want to say how okay. I broke my arm. Okay, okay, sorry. I broke my arm... <laughs> I broke my arm on the neighbor's driveway as I had been dispatched over to fetch a menu for the Indian takeaway that dad and I, mum was away, that dad and I were going to call and have delivered to the house for our dinner. Are you seeing a pattern here? Are you seeing a pattern here? Dad's trying to kill me. No, no. Didn't mom break her arm getting your Indian takeaway recently? <gasps> she did. Indian Listen, takeaway. Listen, Beatrice. When you eat five Indian takeaways a week, one of them is bound to coincide with an accident. <laughs> Poor mom. Mom doesn't eat five Indian <laughs> takeaways that, a week. No, but I do. I do. Yeah, so I broke oh, no, my I'm arm. actually sure. I'm actually quite genuinely sure that Bombay Pantry, if they follow you on Twitter or whatever, when they heard you were leaving, probably were like, pack it up, lads. We're going out of business. Well, honestly, they never offered me a single thing. So, well, the, <laughs> probably because they're like, this one doesn't need any free, but she can yeah, pay for exactly. it like, four times a week. Grand. Um... <laughs> I oh yeah so m- mom and dad were going to France for two weeks and you were meeting them there from Paris I think oh yeah that was great right yeah. and I wasn't meant to go because I had this job in the civil service and I didn't have enough holidays but then I broke my arm and I couldn't drive the car and I couldn't get myself to work and I also couldn't work because I had a broken arm so then I had to go on the holiday and then mom was like it's dishonest to go on holidays while you're off work on sick leave so you should hand in your notice. Mom's right? actually nuts. Yeah. So I had so, so anyway, I handed in my notice, went on the holiday to France, had very many lols at me with my cast. Wasn't this the holiday where mom threw the croissant tantrum? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah, was yeah. like the local boulangerie and was every single morning we'd go down and they were out of croissants. And then one morning yeah. Alan got on the local bike, got on the house bike, the local bike. That sounds really bad. He didn't get on the local <laughs> bike. He got on the Jesus and Christ. he cycled at the crack of dawn down to the boulangerie like it's Paris I mean it's France you know they're serious yeah. about their croissants and their bread if you're not there first they're gone yeah, yeah. so he drove he cycled down and he came back and like it must have been 7am you were probably you were actually still in bed I remember because you weren't part of this oh, and he arrived I along and he put he laid out his you know his fare on the table and mom came down delighted and then she goes where are the croissants and Alan goes oh they're right there they only had chocolate croissants I hate chocolate croissants. And it was like, just have one. And I remember I took the croissant and I scraped out. And you know, in France, they just have the sticks of chocolate. Like they weren't even, it's not like dotted with chocolate. So I peeled out the two sticks. And I just remember that was the moment, honestly, where the baton was passed. And I was like, mom's a baby. I was like, this is not my mature, wise mother. I was like, Listen, mom's I immature to say, too. That was the moment. Say, mom is not the person you can scrape things off and then she'll eat the rest. Oh, no, Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, no, but like it, literally, if you had seen it, the chocolate came off perfectly. It was freezing oh, cold. Beatrice, the Beatrice, croissant was I know. perfect. No, no. And I, she I, threw I, uh, such a fit. You. She sulked. She ate nothing. She wouldn't drink her tea. 
and she recovered at about 11 a.m. and she will deny this story but we had about nine witnesses like everybody was horrified by this except the very out of character childish behavior from our mother very out of character very, relative yeah, relatively out of character. although very in character when it comes to croissants yes yes, yes and food correct so anyway like, so, sorry this, this is literally going to be the longest most boring story about no 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 career. it's brilliant no no it's brilliant and then we went swimming and our oh uncle God, Niall I was hoping we were just going to get to skip no, over that and our uncle Niall who is very I would just, funny no no hang on I would just like to point out when you're in a plaster of Paris cast you can't get it wet <laughs> so and it was very hot so when everybody was going for a swim in the sea I wanted to go for a bit of a dip so I had walked out to about my my nipples in water and oh, I was holding my me, cast. Did you have a top on in this picture? Oh, I fucking probably didn't. <laughs> so I, and I was holding... No, no, no. We don't have a picture of me in the sea. Oh my God, I wish we did. Oh, listen, everybody can imagine. So I'm there up to my nips in water. Cast diligently held, held aloft because the doctor had instructed me not to get it wet. When Niall shouts from the shore, go on. <laughs> started that summer calling everyone gobbers like short for gobshite but I think he thought it was slightly more polite hands up if you're a gobber yeah hands up if you're a gobber and Rosemary's out there with the hand up yeah everyone else's arms shot under the water and I'm there like my cast up in the air in an absolute fucking rage oh it's so funny oh my god that was also the summer that he just called me chunky the whole time oh there there's chunky laughing that was I mean, so mean <laughs> sometimes he still calls me chunky I think I'm like I'm 35 have some respect oh, my one stomach muscles really hurt <laughs> oh wait I don't think it's a muscle <laughs> oh chunky <laughs> absolute weapon time for a break <laughs> so anyway after, after that summer of great humiliation I um, I went to college and I decided to go to Galway and I studied English and Italian because my sister was in Italy and I was like it'll be really handy if I learn to speak Italian but of course you're only f- fucking there for another two months or something and then you moved to Paris I could have done English and French oh but you're good at the Italian and you came and you stayed for a full summer and you used your Italian I did I did so, so I must I have been there for longer than that yeah yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I think you were there until about third year of college. So as part of my course in my goal, we were meant to do Erasmus, which I didn't do because I basically had a boyfriend. I was like, I don't want to go to Italy for a whole year. Oh, I remember that you've, uh, you're you a serial boyfriender. That'll be another. That's another. That'll, that's another podcast where we talk about Rosemary's inability to be by herself ever. There's nothing wrong with that, people. Beatrice, some people no. are just better in couples than other people. Uh, 100%, my therapist told we'll, me that. We'll just talk about it. We'll talk oh. about it. We'll analyze well, like it. Okay, <laughs> listen, this episode is never going to be over. <laughs> I did my degree in English and Italian. Oh, because I really wanted to be a journalist. And mom was really good friends with Marion Finucane. And I remember asking Marion at the time what, what her advice would be. Like, should I just study journalism? Should I study, you know, broadcast journalism? Should I do creative writing? What should I do? And she said that if you're going to do journalism, do not do straight journalism as a degree because... There's no point in being a journalist if you've nothing to write about. 
That's an interesting perspective. Like, yeah. So she was like, do something else first so that you have education in something other than just journalism. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah. And I mean, when I went to NUI Galway, I initially studied English, Sock and Paul, which was uh, sociology and politics, psychology and Italian, kind of thinking that either psychology or sociology and politics would end up being the one that I would pair with English, thinking like they'd be good for journalism. And then I hated them. Oh, did you? I was going to say, did you hate psychology? Oh, my God. Psychology is very dull. I thought psychology was going to be very exciting. And I'd come out of every class going, that's why I'm like this, because I'm a narcissist. I like I thought every class would be be about me. (laughs) But like literally you'd, you'd... do a class and they'd be like, this is the amygdala. I'd be like, oh my God, I hated biology. The amygdala. So- I have watched enough Criminal Nines to know that it's the amygdala. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly have not watched any. And, and I didn't pay attention to psychology. And I've heard loads of people say, Jesus, like it's really hard to fail psychology. I got 41%. Oh. I was 2% God, off failing. I love you. In first year. Disaster. Disa- I think I actually had to repeat part of it because I failed part. Anyway, it was terrible. So after I finished my degree, I then did an MA in... Jur- well, I, I applied for the MA in journalism in DCU and in DIT. And I didn't get accepted to DCU the first time. And I had absolute, as, as mum would say, absolute bunny on bum bum. I was in a rage about that. So I was like, <laughs> how dare they? I'm brilliant. And I got accepted to DIT. And then... On the second round, I got accepted to DCU. But at that point, I was so thick with them for not yeah. accepting me the first. I was like, Dead I'm not right. going there. Dead right there, loss. I know. I was like, absolutely not. I, I won't be anybody's second choice. So, so I went to my second choice, DIT. Uh, and they had started a, like a new course in international journalism or something. So when I got accepted to, regular, like to, to the regular journalism course, they were like, I don't suppose you'd consider doing the international... And, and, and like they did a real good, like really good sales pitch on it. Like, you know, it's going to be a much smaller class and we're, you know, including peace and war reporting and conflict journalism and Is that blah, when blah, you blah. decided you were going to Syria? Because dad was in bits and I was like, she's yeah. not going anywhere. Like literally, she's, she I hates th- going into town. She's not going to Syria. <laughs> and I remember I called him up. I had to really talk to him. He was like, what am I going to say to her? I need to call her up. I need to tell her this isn't a good idea. I was like, dad, seriously, have you met Rosemary? Actually, she loves look, being at home. And he goes, oh my God, I do oh, love being at home. And I'm so, so lazy better. as well. Yeah, I he was like, literally, I like, pointed I out do these realities now. and he was, he felt so much better. Like, it I was, think it, like he was freaked. I, the only correction I would like to make is that I think it was Iran and not Syria because I just read the bookseller of Kabul. And Syria wasn't really like on my wavelength at that point. Oh, you could be right. It was Iran. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, I got it. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just okay. important to correct these things. Um, so what was the difference between journalism and international journalism then? Was, it, was there a difference? Well, the, international, the international journalism doesn't exist, in, course doesn't exist anymore. I think it was their way of adding another course so that they could take on more students. Okay. The international journalism course, like the point of it was to prepare you for being a foreign correspondent maybe mm-hmm. or working in a war zone or you know just going to a conflict zone i guess but can like ask, can i ask you a question rosemary um how many years ago was this now uh 13 so do you think, think that do, do you think that um journalism has changed significantly like would you still do journalism because what was was uh, there the internet existed right but was mm-hmm. like huffington post was journalism so online like was there all this conversation around you know the death of the newspaper the death of the broadsheets no, no, no. etc had that happened like, yet 
No, and, and we didn't have any modules that focused on online journalism. Because it wasn't at that point yet, do you know what yeah. I mean? So it was all talking about newspaper journalism. And I actually think, like, I think it's really difficult to prepare someone to be a journalist. And by that same token, I think it's impossible to... Pre- like, the idea of doing a course to show someone how to be a journalist in a conflict zone is very bizarre to me because I'm like, there's no way you could prepare someone. Like, that's someone who has worked in news reporting and then works in maybe, like, a bureau in Paris and then goes to a... Con- like, you cannot prepare someone out of college but to I go, think, I'm going to go to a conflict zone. But I think it's, that's a really interesting point because I think even if I think about fashion, right, which is, like, nothing to do with the conflict zone except for just regular day-to-day conflicts, I think that, like college the certainly the course that I did and I'm sure it's different nowadays but did nothing to prepare me for the world of working yeah did not explain to me in any way hey when you work in fashion as a designer these are the teams that surround you this is how the business will be structured like there was no business Mm -hmm. aspect Mm -hmm. at all and like honestly I often think that if I had known how companies were structured I likely, even though I love design, would not have done design. I would have done merchandising because yeah, yeah. being a merchant, you work your way up to a senior enough level. You can, in many companies, not all companies and not as much in Europe, but in America, certainly as it's business focused and business is the primary stakeholder, you can run design, whereas it's very rare mm-hmm. for design to run for it to work the other way that, you know, that yeah, you're yeah. creative. Oh, here, let's give, let's let you run the business. Now that does happen yeah. in Europe, but like, I didn't even know merchandising existed. Now I'm like, am I, you know, was that me just being super like uninformed? But there was no conversation about that ever. So like, I think to your point, it's not necessary. It's it's teaching you something, but it's not necessarily preparing you for the actual world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like there was very little logistics in terms of like the majority of working journalists even even just in Ireland now, are freelance, right? Mm-hmm. So are working as journalists from the from the comfort more or less of well, I mean we're all we're all at home now, but like are working from home, are pitching to different publications, are writing maybe a feature for this magazine and then a news piece for this paper, and then are doing a property piece for this supplement. Like you have to kind of be a jack of all trades, and there was no there was nothing in my course about like pitching to a newspaper about yeah. like how to how to format a pitch, how to make contacts, how to reach out to somebody. Like I I kind of would have thought that I almost would have emailed the editor of the Irish Times to go, I have an idea for a piece. Like they didn't teach us that there are actually all these different editors and like this is the person who'll be responsible for this and here's how you go about this. And like th- that's one of the things that I always say to people now like the most important thing to learn is how to do a pitch. But if if the question you were originally asking was, would I do journalism again? Yeah. If I was to go back, I don't think I would. I think after I had done my BA, if I could go back now, I would do something like an MA in gender studies or I would do something that I'm really interested in and go, I would love to be like better read on this topic. I would love to be better informed on this topic and I would love to be able to write more informedly about this thing. So what you're saying that I'm passionate about. So the, so when it's it's interesting to me when you say that they're like you know you'd write a piece about um, property or a piece about and I'm thinking to myself these are probably not all topics exactly to your point that somebody is necessarily passionate about. It sounds very much like this is me earning a living. Yeah, is yeah. That, yeah, like, yeah. Is that how you? Because I imagine people think they're getting into journalism to write about the topics that they're passionate about. 
you know, not necessarily to execute to a list of topics that need to be covered for the paper tomorrow, you know, do you, do you think that you saw it differently? Do you think that it is different to how you imagined it would be? Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I think I just thought that the very rare jobs were not rare. So I thought that I might get a job writing a column or working in features or writing opinion. But I never realized that if you write a column, you might get paid 150 euro a week for this one column that you do every week. And like Carrie Bradshaw has a lot to answer for in exactly. that sense. But yeah, like I, I kind of thought that I would be able to do what I loved doing, which was writing about things I'm interested in. Do you know what I mean? And like now that I think about it, I'm like, that's very lofty. You know, the the idea that I would be making a living out of that, but that is what I thought. But part of the problem is that, not part of the problem, but part of the irony of that is you did do that for the first couple of years, right? You did get to write about the things that you were interested in. Yeah, like ish. So like for the first, so while I was doing my master's, I got a job in the Irish Times through our cousin's friend worked there. And I said to her, the Irish Times is looking for sub-editors. Do you know anyone? And she said, yeah, my cousin is doing the MA in journalism, DIT at the moment. I'll get her to get in touch. So like, again, it was like somebody who knew somebody got me kind of in the door. And I went in for a trial day and I did a trial day as a sub-editor and then I, and then I got kept on. So I did two days a week while I was doing my MA and while I was writing my thesis. And then after that, I went up to kind of two or three or four and I was always a casual sub-editor. But like the very first piece that I wrote for the Irish Times was a piece for a commercial supplement about something to do with the EU. And the, and the piece that I wrote was about how something about EU rules about fruit and about how <laughs> certain, like certain uh, bendy bananas didn't pass EU, like bananas had to be at a certain bend. It was something about bananas. <laughs> Swear to God. Please Swear to stop. God. I was just <laughs> So when Rosemary, and this is not to do necessarily with your career as much, but it is, it's like it's all tied together, I think. When did you start feeling, when did you start, when, when were you diagnosed with depression? If you don't, like, if that's okay to ask as part of this conversation. Oh, yeah, I yeah. feel like um, that impacted everything in your life. I, so I had started going to see a therapist when I was in, doing my BA in Galway. I had gone to see a therapist then because I was like I've I've been feeling really low and I've been feeling really sad for an extended period of time and I went to see a therapist and I just thought she was crap she kept telling me I I don't know if we've talked about this in the podcast before but she kept telling me to imagine my feelings as like a big ball and imagine handing that ball to someone else and I was like why like it's it there's something that felt really malicious about it that I was like why do I want to give it to someone else I just don't want anyone to have it you know what I mean that yeah, I was like yeah. why am I why am I giving my feelings to why this person why couldn't she just tell you to throw it into the sea like why was it a ball to begin with? She even drew it on a whiteboard. Oh. Big circle. I was like, I know what a ball is. You don't need to draw it. Like, she's like, imagine your, your feelings in a circle. I'm like, are you really going to draw that right now? And then I went to another therapist when I was in DIT, but it wasn't until, it was, it was while I was at the Irish Times that I kind of started to see, I started to go to regular therapy. I started to, to see and talk to my GP about it more regularly. And she kind of diagnosed me with a generalized depressive disorder, I think. And then that was when I started going on medication was while I was at the Irish Times. I was there for about five years, I think. So I think it was about two years after I finished my MA. And why did you leave the Irish Times? It was around that time. So I was at the Irish Times. I was working as a casual sub. So I was still doing two or three days a week. And I would started doing more and more writing. So I was writing features and I was writing opinion and I had started doing a weekly fashion column. Oh, that I got because I'd started doing the fashion blog for IrishTimes.com. 
and then I got asked to do some fashion pages in in the paper in the weekly I think it was every Wednesday every Thursday and then I did that for a couple of months and while I was doing that I started getting asked to go on more radio and to go on tv3 and to do more styling stuff and I basically couldn't I kind of couldn't balance everything and I was like the thing that I'm enjoying the least really was was the subbing was the kind of office the kind of production work in the times and I also felt like while I was there I was seeing loads of people who had been there for 15 or 20 or 25 years and they were career subs yeah and I was like I didn't really want to do that you know what I mean so I kind of felt like either I needed like I needed to concentrate on one or the other so I stopped doing the subbing and that was kind of the beginning of the end of the Irish Times for me because once I wasn't in the office every day you, you like I kind of just got more and more detached if that makes sense like yeah. you know I started doing more and more TV I started doing more radio and then I think I'd stopped subbing maybe about six months when my column got dropped the uh, fashion page that I was doing once a week which at the time I think I got paid 250 quid a week for it so it was a thousand euro a month a little bit more and it basically covered my rent and made sure that everything else that I did was you know obviously like living expenses but was kind of a plus if you know what I mean and when that got dropped I was kind of like oh my god fuck because there were definitely some weeks where like I wouldn't be getting a lot of other jobs and like that would be kind of what I was depending on like that's guaranteed and I can always pay my rent because I always have that so then that stopped and then I was freelance and I was kind of doing like I was just like styling shoots for the odd shoot for magazines. I was styling stuff for TV3 for Exposed. I was doing the odd kind of midday, which was the kind of panel chat show. And then my friend Kirsty was editor at Stellar at the time. And she asked me if I would have any interest in interviewing for the deputy editor position there. And so that's when I went into Stellar when I kind of went you know what, freelancing is really hard. And I think at the time I was kind of struggling with my mental health, but I was also struggling with my finances, like story of my life, because I absolutely love to spend money. And well, that's, I just love to spend money. (laughs) But freelancing is really hard, right? Because like, it is really hard to not to, to, because I mean, I, I think, you know, I always have thought about the idea of going out and having a consultancy or doing something like that. But the idea of always having to go, like, it's not just, it'd be great if you just got to do your job, but so much of your job is the hustle of like, What's oh my the God. next job, you know, like, and pay me for so the last much, job. Yes, so much of it is admin, is chasing up invoices, is sending invoices, and then is also pitching. And when you're freelance, like, you know, everyone kind of says it very glibly, like, oh, you just have to get used to rejection. And you do, but like, imagine if you went for five job interviews every single week and say two of them you got and three of them you didn't. Like, it kind of grinds you down after a while. Do you know what I mean? You have all these kind of disappointments or even not just disappointments we just have loads of people not emailing you back yeah well I think it's really disheartening I think also you're not pitching like especially if you're freelancing like writing you're not pitching for a big six-month pitch you know so if you're oh, doing no, kind of fun, no. you're, you're, everything is like I'm just pitching for a $200 or yeah. $300 or $500 well euro job you know no and no you're pitching for like 70 euro to to independent.ie like yeah. 120 euro for a right. small so, feature up and to then maybe you think about the time yeah. that you spend doing that like by the time you yeah. pitch it and get it and negotiate it and then chase it and then actually write it like how much are you even getting an hour you know like yeah. it's one thing if you were saying I'm pitching for a long-term project because like if I was pitching a consultancy I'd be pitching for a one month a three month a five month yeah, you know? yeah. And, but yeah. even that like that's hard because companies don't want to 
it's hard to get companies they have like they'll reach out looking for somebody like in fashion certainly looking for somebody that they want to do a certain project but the idea of having your own consultancy where you're pitching them and hoping that they'll find the where money you're selling it to for them, an idea like, yeah. that they didn't even have yeah and that they're not yeah, even yeah. sure they want like it feels unnerving it would to be me. hard yeah, yeah. like yeah. i think a lot of people who work freelance in the fashion industry they're they're considered freelance and they, and they call themselves freelancers basically means like but they, they don't have, have clients no well it's more that they actually could work in-house with somebody for three days a week but they're still freelance you know what i mean oh like, yeah 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 people, but like yes they have like, like one or two I mean clients is, yeah ongoing. that they have regulars yeah. yeah 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 so basically i was just I was, I was finding freelance difficult like for a whole lot of different reasons and then like not knowing where your money's coming from and i thought I've, I had always wanted to work in magazines. And actually, you know what? At the exact same time that I got offered the Stellar job, I had pitched to Dunn Stores to come in and take over their social media. Oh, yeah, I remember the time that. I was like, yeah. And I mean, I, I, don't, want pitched... to, I don't want to um, derail the conversation even further, but I also remembered another one that mom really wanted you to go. She really wanted you to do the buying course with pennies. And she well, kept you know, trying to tell you to go back to do that. Every single time you yeah. say, I don't know about my job or my career, mom goes, you know that Pennies has an amazing buying training program. Well, you know, actually, at the exact same time, I went for the for the buying for the oh. trainee buyers thing in Pennies oh. at the exact same time, and didn't get it. Oh, that's I embarrassing. Know. And I went in, but like, <laughs> I just wasn't. I went in for what I thought was like an interview, and they were like, prepare a. It wasn't really a presentation, but they were like, you know, prepare, you know, like a small project, and like I went in with very basic. And like some girls had made like decoupage of their project. Do you know what I mean? That I was like, what? And they had just come out of like, like a two year buyers, like buying diploma. Yeah. Whereas I was just like, I just have a, like, I have really good ideas. And I love clothes. And, but like, I had also been this fashion journalist and I'd, you know, had this online presence. And I think they just were a bit like, you're one's a loose cannon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you know what? And you would have hated it. This would have been right. like, yeah. This would have been back to the, like pick up that tissue. You pick up the tissue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was actually a girl that I kept in touch with afterwards who did it, and I think stayed for about three months and was like, "It was awful." Well, just, I mean, like absolutely hated it. But I mean, so probably for her own reasons. Yeah, but I think she just said it was a lot of Excel. But, oh which yeah, I hadn't okay. Done, which I hadn't anticipated. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, it's maths, right? It's 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 you yeah. know, it's it's all about it's like numbers, numbers, inventory numbers, yeah. levels, etc. Yeah. So. I had pitched for this social media job at Dunn's and they offered that to me at the exact same time that, that I got offered the Stellar job. And I think I was like, you know what, I've always wanted to work in magazines, so I'm going to give journalism one last go and work in Stellar. And I will so tell I, you, you had very colourful stories from that time of your life. I did. I, I, I worked <laughs> with some very, I worked with some very interesting characters, some of whom I cannot wait until they die so I can talk about all of the things that they said to me. <laughs> That is all I'll but say. But you also that. loved working with your friends. So that was nice. Oh my God, I loved I loved working with Kirsty. I loved working with Linda, who was the fashion editor at the time. I loved working with Katie, who was and still is the designer on stuff. Like, it was so nice. And yeah. you know what? To what you said earlier, it was really nice because it was such a female-focused and female-run environment. It was so nice to be surrounded by so many women and to just, like, have these people to bounce ideas off which was something that I had obviously really missed because I think I'd been freelancing like fully freelance for about two years at that point and that I goes really back missed to, I'm sorry but that goes back to the collaboration and teamwork that you made fun of me for with my presenter's voice it's true collaboration it and true. teamwork can't true. create ideas in a vacuum like I mean 
it's that idea of like throwing out all the stupid ideas. Like, I'm not saying this is a good idea, but what if, you know, and somebody else builds on it, yeah. like you get to the good idea through everybody, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, eventually. you know, just throwing out the stupid ideas. Yeah. So I stayed there. I think I was there for about a year and a half. And is that all? I mean, I thought you were there for much longer. No. Oh, no. so many stories. People should be quaking in their boots, in their tiny trousers. Just saying. <laughs> in their tight jeans. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was there. Yeah, it was only a year and a half. And I left basically because the culture there, the culture from the top down, I found really challenging and unpleasant. And you know what? At a certain point as well, I just really realized that I am the kind of person who resents making money for someone else. That oh, I really I'd say would, many like, people probably identify with that. But, you know, it's, it's yeah. not everybody has it the was, luxury of acting yeah, on it. Oh, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's good if like, you can, right? Yeah. So basically it was at the point when journalism was kind of shifting from, you know, regular, like we're writing the story and this is about the public interest and like the kind of good meaty stories and it was like we need to get commercial partners to work with us on this story because people were buying less and less advertising and also people were buying less and less magazines so it was like how do we work with like different brands to bring a story to life so like I would try and pitch things like I want to interview these six musicians these six female musicians about the industry in Ireland and we'll dress them in your clothes and Mm -hmm. so it'll be a branded partnership but it will just be the clothes and the rest of the story will be the story. I think but that's those... interesting. Isn't that, you told me the other day about what's Kirsty's job now? Yeah, uh, Kirsty's now working in, and I don't want to speak for Kirsty because I'm not 100% sure, but she's now working in content or in the content studio in the Irish Times. So like similarly, it's those kind of like advertorial has now moved from like, this is an advertising feature about pennies to yeah. This is a feature you actually want to read and it just happens to be sponsored by pennies and everyone's wearing pennies clothes. You know yeah, what I mean? I thought that was really interesting. I was go- that's what I was going to say. Did yeah. that job even exist 10 years ago? Like there's so many different no. jobs within uh, journalism yeah. that like I yeah, don't yeah. think you'd know about. Within within media and like yeah. this kind of crossover between journalism yeah. and sales. And so, kind of so, but it's almost social. Like the, everybody's really yeah. focused now on storytelling, you know. That yeah. nobody wants to be sold to like we see it everywhere everybody it's it's all very wrapped up in this idea of storytelling and branding you know it's not yeah. anymore like hey here's this thing do you want to buy it it's like it's no. not enough anymore yeah people want the story but we like we were starting to do that those kind of salesy things with contacts that you'd have in PR contacts that you'd have in brands and I just started getting really pissed off that I was like why have I just signed this like 15 grand you know deal or collaboration when I'm getting paid like 34 grand or something like I'm not getting anything from this and I wouldn't even get a thank you do you know what I mean so I was getting really pissed off so um did it never occur to you to go and be like hey can can any of my salary be based on like a percentage of this did you have that conversation you're making a face that suggests that was not a possibility I would like to invoke my fifth amendment right to not incriminate myself and move on from that question <laughs> okay okay it is it is your Fifth Amendment. Yeah, it's your, that guns? Well, what's the spousal one? No, your Fifth Amendment is the First Amendment is the right to bear. No, the Second Amendment. No. Do you know what? Shh, shh, we'll shh. post the amendments. <laughs> As Fox would say. Those, those would be in the show notes. Anyway, um, and at that same time, right, I had started uh, a Snapchat account. I had started to get kind of 
popular by Irish standards. I think that I had like that thing where you just walked around, as Mom would say, you walked around Stony Batter. chatting into my phone. Yeah. yeah, and I'd be like, "What yeah. the hell is this?" Yeah, I mean, she doesn't People have time to it. have a phone call with me, but like she's walking up I was and down busy. streets. And Listen, you always start. You always start every sentence with "eh, eh." Oh, stop annoying me! I was, <laughs> I was busy making a name for myself, and yeah. you know what? I used to get people messaging me going, "Oh my god, like I can't believe you're going into fresh like again. This is so boring." And I'd be like, "What? Like you're literally? It'd be like having a stalker who's like, oh, can we not go here for lunch again?'" trying to tell you Rosemary is you were not privy you were not engaging them I was not you know, entertaining them in the way that they yeah, expected yeah for well, free you could just go for follow free. someone else for free so anyway I started to get this popular free on content and I is boring getting, isn't that it this free content is boring me this free content content is not not what I'm paying for like, <laughs> exactly so I started getting offered brand collaborate I think the first one I got offered was maybe from I think it was little I can't remember you got Somebody some great me... stuff shipped to your door, I have to say. What? Oh, oh, yeah. Did you oh, not get... Listen, did you I not get a load of condoms box? or did I just make that up? I got condoms. I got condoms in a box. When you opened it up, it made like sex noises. I think it went like, ooh. Oh, ah, my God. This is literally I... mom's nightmare. Very entertaining. Mom's like the opposite of an influencer. Mom's like... An... <laughs> I can't even know. She'd be so <laughs> horrified. What's, what's the opposite of an influencer? A dampener? I also got an entire box of vibrators once. Oh, yes. That's the but one this, you took pictures and told mom, right? <laughs> this company was like, we'd like to send you a vibrator, right? And I was like, great, love a vibrator. And then they sent me 12 of them. And I was like, I think you're, I think you're misunderstanding my anatomy. But it was basically an accident. And then they made me ship them back. It was really what? annoying. Yeah, I was like, could you just give them to my mates? So, yeah. And then I became an influencer. You, what else did you get to, to your door? You did oh, get some other good uh, stuff. Yeah, funny, like funny I used stuff. To get, like... I used to get loads of makeup. I did a collaboration with a prune company once for like three grand. It was amazing. Oh, oh, I remember that. Oh, I know. Yeah, you cooked every prune recipe under the sun. But I remember you got a lot of makeup prune because muffins. I remember for Christmas you pretended to me that you'd bought it. And then afterwards you were like, oh, I did oh. Not pretend. Yeah, you did. Listen, you absolutely you used did. You pretend to me that you bought me things that you, you got from the shop near the office. I absolutely never pretended. That was dad. That was dad. And I wasn't, it wasn't until I was 20 something that I realized the shop near the office was like an aphorism. We will talk about dad's shop right. in dad's episode. Right. We really need to, to like get on with our lives now. Okay. So I became an influencer. I became uh, an influencer. Basically that I started taking money from brands and I was like, I can give up my job. This is great. Like happy day. So I like take 500 quid and talk about something on Instagram. But it was actually shit. Why? Because the money never felt like enough for the shit that you got from people for it. If you know what I mean. Oh, what do you but mean? Like, Your well, language you is get... deteriorating here and mother oh, will have sorry. a problem with this. I'm tired. Yes, I'm... I know, I know. Go on. Well, basically you would do a job, like, so I would sign up to do a job for a brand that might be like 500 quid, right? And you'd go, okay, I'm going to post a story to my grid. I'm going to do a blog post and I'm going to do three Instagram stories. And I think a lot of my problem with it was also tied up with my mental health because at the time I was very up and down. I didn't really know what things were going to be like tomorrow or what I was going to be able for tomorrow, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. So like I like I would have said to a brand, okay, on Tuesday I'm going to do these six Instagram stories. And then I wake up on Tuesday and be like, oh my God, I want to die. Like I don't want to do anything. I don't want to leave the house. But I would have to go get on my bike and go around and be like, hi guys, here I am doing X, Y, Z. But I also, like, but I also feel like, isn't it true? I mean, I, and I do think this is, 
I mean, the market has moved there, like the industry has moved to this place where like these sponsored, you know, ads, etc. Nobody really likes them anymore. Like things, you know, it was a trend no. of like, oh, it's really authentic. But that's kind of why the micro influencer is happening. And also like nobody wants them. Like the minute you see sponsored or, you know, ad or whatever, everybody just kind of goes, oh, yeah. Like because there's yeah. so many people talking about it now and it just doesn't feel authentic, yeah. especially if you're talking about mul- like millions of different things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually think the only thing that works now, and this is something that I did try to pitch when I was doing it, but very few brands wanted to do it because it's kind of a like a big investment. I think the only thing that works is if you sign on for a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 also in a way, and this is like the pipe dream, but if the influencer approaches the brand and goes like, I love like Diet Coke, for example, do you know what I mean? That you're like, no, or like, I'm always wearing H&M Spanx. or, yeah. And like you, like you approach the brand and go, look, I love your brand. I wear it all the time. I would love to become an ambassador. And, you know, in exchange, I will post two, you know, post to my yeah. grade each month yeah. in which I tag you and I mention that I'm wearing you. And like I mentioned that it's an ad, but otherwise I'll just carry on my, my everyday life using your product. But I will be there to be like a spokesperson. I think that's the only thing that works. Yeah. It's the only thing that feels authentic. But it's hard then as well, because like, you know, I think every company has their own uh, strategy too. So you could yeah. say, I'll do this. And they're like, okay, but we'll reevaluate in two months. And if you're not garnering enough, like, you know, if, if it's not effective enough for us, like, because you can have people as you have shared with me and as I've since learned, like you can have influencers who have loads of followers, but who aren't, don't have a very engaged base, but you can have yeah. like, so, you know, they're, they're talking about H&M all day, but it doesn't incentivize their listeners. It doesn't to translate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and then also like, from the influencer point of view, if that's going to work, it needs to be that you're only doing that with a maximum of three brands across three very different, yeah. you know, lines or like very different areas. So then they all need to be really lucrative. Yeah, yeah. And so very few brands are like want to sign up or like are are willing to sign up for a year at a price that would make sure that you would never talk about a competitor. You know what I mean? And that, you know, you with know, somebody who feels natural, it's hard. Here's what I wondered the other day, though. I was actually wondering, what is the, you know, because you and I were talking about my career. Sorry. You were listening and I was talking about my career. And I was saying, I don't see, I don't know a lot of like older designers. You know, people tend to, like you see a lot of older merchants. Like you see a lot of people who are mm. responsible for the P&L for like the, money side of the business you don't see a lot of what's P&L a profit and loss so like the okay, the financial okay. side of the business so you don't see a lot of designers you know they get they end up you don't it at the helm in design houses in their 50s and their 60s you know because what's cool or what's like who's you know who have their fingers on the pulse etc are the younger generations you know mm-hmm, and I mean mm-hmm. and that's normal right I mean it depends on the company like I don't want to you know I don't want to overgeneralize but in general yeah but in general I don't want to generalize but in general um like when you get to that older to that like older era you're you're consulting or you're have your own line to your point yeah. and i wondered the other day i suddenly had this thought about influencers i was like what if you build your entire career as an influencer right and you're you're not necessarily like a mega influencer you're not and i'm not talking about you but i'm saying like people who truly only have their income coming from brands coming from mm-hmm, the advertorial mm-hmm. that they're doing for brands what happens when you're suddenly older do, is there that same, like, is this a career path or does it branch into something else? Yeah, well, see, we don't really know because obviously it hasn't been going on long enough. Like, mm-hmm. you do see a lot of women in their 40s and maybe in their very early 50s 
who are doing brand collaborations because I think what also happens is people trust women who are a little bit older a little bit more now than they do women in their 20s and maybe it's like a chicken egg thing as well that I think when you're in your 20s and somebody offers you 250 quid to an Instagram post you're like oh my god great yes Mm -hmm. whereas I think then when you're a bit older and maybe you have had more of a career behind you you might be more inclined to go you know what, I'm not sure about that. Let me think about it. Yeah. I think this might be a better fit for me. You know what I mean? You might be a little bit more discerning. So you end up being more trusted because you have that experience. And you know what as well? Loads of these these girls in their 20s, and I feel really sorry for them. It's like they've come straight out of school. They've got really popular on Instagram or they've come straight out of college, right? They're really popular on Instagram. They suddenly become this influencer, but they have never had like a serious full-time job or a serious career. And then all of a sudden they're like kind of beholden to these followers who expect them to understand journalistic ethics and expect them to understand you know like the morals of taking money for something and expect them like I remember when there's this one girl that I follow who like was a really big influencer in Ireland I think had become an influencer like left school maybe worked on a makeup counter for a while then became an influencer and she had a baby and she was talking one day about formula feeding and in Ireland it's against the law to promote formula because our breastfeeding rates are so low right but she obviously didn't fucking know this right and there was this like uproar and people w- like went mad, you know what I mean, at her for doing this. But like she hadn't been paid by the formula brand. She was literally just talking about her own experience, but she didn't know yeah. that you're actually not supposed to do this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I felt really sorry for her because I was like, your followers like you because you're just this normal girl next door who's like authentic and you know doesn't have any airs and graces. But then on the other hand, they're expecting you to have this wealth of knowledge and experience yeah. that you clearly don't have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, sorry. To, to like answer your question we obviously don't know I do think that brands like you know you see in your brands like Marks and Spencer are very good at working with older influencers and I think it probably works very well yeah, for them that's a good point and I think as the audience on Instagram gets older so like there are definitely more women in their 30s and 40s and even 50s now than there were even two years ago as the audience gets older there might be more of an appetite for an older influencer oh, that's a good point but I don't know like yeah a lot of them end up starting their own brands or like writing I think that's it I think or... when you said as well having a collaboration like it becomes more product based it becomes like there's, yeah. there's a revenue stream that isn't just you know reliant on you literally every day doing yeah. your own version of QVC so yeah. Rosemary moving on so you're now at you're now at Stellar when you left was it in a blaze of glory or did you just, did you, did you throw a massive fit and leave? Or did you just hand in your resignation no. and leave? And you know what? I actually really wish I had <laughs> I in hindsight. Because like I handed in my notice. There was a very civilized conversation had. There was a like, is there anything we could do to entice you to stay? It was, it was very nice. And I was like, no, like, you know, it's not even about the money. I just, I think I was freelance for too long. And I really miss that independence, blah, blah. Like instead of going... Let me list the reasons that I'm not staying. Like, like, let me list them. I was like, no, no, I really think. Handed my notice, left the office, did worked my four weeks notice, was never spoken to again. What by do you mean? my boss. Never spoken to, like, during those four weeks? In those four weeks, was never addressed, was never spoken to, was never hello, was never goodbye. There was not a single word spoken to me in that four weeks. Well, was it like this? So when I left one of my jobs, I said, and I had to give a month's notice. So it was one of my European jobs. And I said, I have to, you know, I'm leaving and I've got another job and, and thanks very much. And my boss said, are you going to Chanel? And I said, no. I was like, well, I don't even know why that would randomly pop in your head. I was like, no. Okay, fine. Left the room. And from that good day onwards for my four weeks, 
Tell the girl in the corner I want this, but done like this. Tell the girl in the corner I want this over here. Tell the girl in the corner I want X for lunch. Tell the girl in the corner, literally, tell the girl in the corner this is a terrible job. Tell the girl in the corner, never spoke to me again. It spoke, and it was so embarrassing for me, but for everybody. I dreaded that entire month. I think I probably cried every morning. It was disastrous. It was, it was ridiculous. Anyway. I mean, no, like I didn't get addressed third hand or, you know, at all. But I also didn't, I wasn't upset about it. I was in a white hot rage for the entire four weeks. <laughs> You're better than I like, was. Yes, okay, so you went from seller to? I went, I went from seller to being an influencer. This is, this is what I was talking oh, about. to being an But I thought you were now, yeah. you say, a recovered influencer. Now I am. I would still consider myself recovering. Oh, recovering. Because okay. I want to leave the door open that if somebody offered me 10 grand, I'd probably still take <laughs> it to do something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that honesty. <laughs> is that recovering or is that just like an on? An unconvinced influencer. Or such as like an unsuccessful influencer. Oh, yeah. No, um, you know what? Like, okay, so there were a kind of a few back and forths where I was an influencer for maybe two years and then I was like, oh my God, this is really difficult. Like every bit of criticism I got from my work, I took super personally. I like began to really struggle with kind of having no delineation between myself and my work. If... That makes sense. Cause I think it was really hard because it, it wasn't just that you took the work criticism, but like people feel very free as we all do. And I think there is a recognition or like a realization happening now that people out there are also real people. Whereas at the beginning of influencing, it was like, oh, you put yourself out there. You deserve this. Yeah, yeah. At the beginning of influencing, there was a recognition. There were kind of there was a sort of a, an assumption that, oh, you put yourself out there like you deserve whatever I, t- I say about you. Like, yeah. You want to be a celebrity, like I am your personal now magazine. I'm going to write a horrible headline about exactly. you. Exactly. But I think for me it was as well when everything you write about and everything you post about is about you. Yeah. Every time someone doesn't like your work, yeah, it's personal. They don't like you. Well, I do, do you know remember I mean? like when you came over. It used to drive me insane. But you were. I mean, it wasn't enjoyable for you. Like it. It, it, it no. was. You weren't happy. Like you were over here and you were stuck to your phone. And not in a like, oh, now I feel like when you're on Instagram, you're enjoying it. You're looking at, you're like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. Oh, this picture of me is terrible. Everybody's enjoying it. It's funny. I look ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's, it's more lighthearted. Whereas there it was more serious. And I think you were very stressed by it, you know, and, and you were always glued to your phone. Whereas now the phone actually goes down. We can do a jigsaw and the phone goes down. You know what? It's so annoying to me now when I think about it, because I'm like, like all of those things are true, but I wasn't even that successful. Like... Like but the I mean, way you're you talking about it now, you'd swear I had like a quarter of a million followers and was, you know, but like, you know, by that same token, there was a point at which I was kind of sharing so much and posting so much. I think one day I counted it and I, and I got something like 420 messages, like on average over, over the course of one week each day. Yeah. And I replied to every single one. Like, so that's a huge amount of, you know what I mean? Huge amount of work and a huge amount of like emotional. A huge like amount of mental emotional space. labor. Yeah. 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 So then there was kind of a couple of months where I was like, oh, my God, I want to get off the Internet. I was I was starting to feel like I, I just wasn't well, basically. I was really overwhelmed by everything. I was starting to get really paranoid. I didn't really want to leave my house because I felt like every time I went anywhere, I would I would not see what people would see me like. I would not see people, but they would see me who followed me online and hated me. You oh, know what I mean? That I felt like there'd be people looking at me. 
And just, just to everywhere. ask, did the balloons happen in the middle of all of this? The balloons happened in the middle of all this. <gasps> oh, poor you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, you're not even. She's like, I'm not even enjoying this anymore. It's a terrible conversation. No, 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 no. Well, well, just because like that part was really, was really hard. And like when I look back now, it it was it was really difficult and it was really sad, and it was really too much. Yeah, it was just too it was much. really bleak. Yeah. Yeah, but now you're out um, of it. Now you're out of it, a la Charles Dickens, and you're out of it, and you're and you're on the inside, and you're living it, your best life. Now Fort, I'm on the other side. In Fort Wayne, Indiana. Well, the other side kind of happened because I basically decided I wanted to get offline, trained to become a personal trainer. Oh, forgot about totally that. Forgetting. I forgot about that. Totally yeah. forgetting. Yeah. Became a personal trainer, worked at that for about six months, realized, oh my God, nobody makes any money. You have to get up at 5 a.m. every day to train people. You have to listen to people, people like some of whom you don't <laughs> want to listen to all day. <laughs> Stop. And there's also so much counting, like five more, four more. No, Three more, good, good, just two more. Oh my Last gosh. one, oh, brilliant. it's so boring. Like you really have to be, <laughs> no, no, but like you really have to be passionate about it to be a good personal trainer. Yes, I'm definitely getting the impression you weren't. Well, I, so like I love chatting to people, right? So I'm passionate about chatting to people. I'm passionate about lifting weights. And, I, and, and like I was really, like I used to love showing people how to lift weights and watching people get better and get stronger. You know what I mean? And be like, oh my God, like imagine two weeks ago, you would never have thought that you could do what you're doing today. And it's only two weeks later. Like I really, really enjoyed those moments. And then I hated everything in between. But it's like our father said, our own dad told me not to do fashion design, recommended I didn't, now never stopped me from doing what I wanted to do, but like was like, you really shouldn't do this. And I said, why not? He's like, because you're going to make your hobby your job and then you're never going to want to do it again. Like, and then you won't enjoy it anymore. It won't be your hobby. It'll just be your job. And I mean, I don't think he's wrong. Like I still, I actually really like my job and I still, but I, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time drawing or being creative outside of yeah, my job. for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't actually spend a lot of time drawing and being creative in my job. I spend a lot of time working with people who are drawing and being who are creative. Drawing and being creative. I'm yeah. more managing yeah. and directing them. So I do see the point of like, I don't do a lot of that anymore. And I think that was you you mixed up the same thing, right? You enjoyed it. Yeah. So you thought you'd enjoy it as your job. But in fact, then it also became probably a chore to go and do your own work. And you're like, oh, for God's sake, now I've got to go back oh and do God. my own yeah. work. And on top of this. So Rosemary, so, so you did your personal training in the middle of all of this. So that was, I mean, at least a good skill learned, right? And, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now and you're like, I feel, I feel very smug now when I work out and I look at people doing it wrong. Oh, love that. Good, love good. That. I love that. I think you, I think that you should probably question your use of the word smug, how often you use it and what that says about you. But another topic. So now you are in Fort Wayne writing. Now, yes. Yeah. Writing a book. What's the plan? Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that. Yeah. So I basically kind of transitioned really slowly from I set up a Patreon for my podcast and then I started writing more and more for my Patreon and posting more and more of my writing on Patreon. And kind of at the same time that I started to feel really paranoid, there was a real comfort in putting all these things behind a paywall and being like, OK, like random people who hate me can't read this anymore. Or if they can, they have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. And like that makes sense. Yeah. And it also just kind of made me feel a bit safer that I was like, OK, probably they're not going to pay for it if they hate me. So the people who, who pay for it and read my stuff are going to be people who want to support me and who are interested in what I have to say which was a really nice position to be in. So I started writing more and more for Patreon. So that's pretty much what I do now. Semi full time. I do some kind of social media consulting. 
I do a little bit of commercial, like blog writing, a little bit of commercial journalism, freelance. You, a- you answer my questions about how many people have listened to our podcast. Oh my God, I am, I am your <laughs> podcast PA 24-7. I'm doing this podcast, I'm doing my other podcast, How To Be Sound, which I've just started getting back on a kind of a bi-weekly schedule. Oh, but I um, have to say, not to congratulate me, but you're lucky you have me because I'm definitely keeping you regular. As they say, just you're, like you're, I'm your personal like activity. I'm your personal activity yogurt. You're just like the prunes. I am your personal You're not prune. paying me three grand to talk about no, you. I'm your personal free prune. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know what? Like I have, I've always wanted to make a living by writing. And I thought that would look very different to how it looks yeah. now. Yeah. But I'm also much happier now than I ever was when I was kind of close to what I imagined I wanted, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, it's hard to know, right? It's hard to, it's hard to imagine, like, until you're in it, what life's all about. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't mean that. To, yeah, yeah. I don't mean that to sound profound, and it doesn't, so I'm good, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you're grand, I was not that profound. <laughs> but I mean, it's, that's, that's just like, when that doctor was like, listen, if you want to become a model, you're like, don't worry. Oh, how dare you? Did we talk about that? Yes, we did. Oh, we did. Where the doctor told me that like when I went in, when mom brought me in because I was super fat and the doctor said, well, not only is she super fat and needs to eat less, but like if she ever wants to be a model, we should break her face right now. Like, what the hell? Seriously, the more I think about it, I'm like, no wonder I'm drinking a lot of wine. No wonder I'm, no wonder I'm relatively damaged. Not, yeah, that, not, I mean, that, not that damaged, but like, thank, thanks to wine. Pizza. So, on that note. On that note, here we are. In Fort Wayne, both of us. We've both done our careers backwards. Started in Kildare, which is the equivalent of Paris. God. Ended up in Fort Wayne, which is the equivalent of the middle started of the Pacific Kildare. Ocean. Well, like, I was thinking more, started in the Irish Times in, like, the paper yeah. of record. Yeah, yeah, it's Ended true. up basically, like, writing my diary on the internet. In Fort Wayne. In Fort Wayne, Indiana. But, I, but I'm delighted with myself. I know you are. I know you are. And I'm delighted that you're here. I have a great I'm time. I'm delighted that you're here. It's the first time in 20 years that I've ever lived close to a family member who I now cannot hang out with because of coronavirus. But I'm but still it's, delighted it's okay. that you're here. It's okay. You can here. call me yes. six times a day. That's and true. it's not ridiculously expensive. And you can ask me about your podcast ratings. Our podcast ratings. And we're, yes. in, the same, and we're in the same time zone. That's true. That's amazing. And I went over to you today and social distanced with my um, grog mask. Gorg, Gorg mask, my Fraggle Rock mask. Yes, you did. It was it was an absolute delight. Aww. Beatrice, as usual, this has been the best Jesus hour and a half of my day. Oh, except for the other hour and a half earlier on where I brought you over flowers. That was a nice hour and a half, too. That was pretty nice. Yeah. Right. And then I noticed and, and I brought and you your IKEA cushions frap. and a caramel frap. And I noticed when I got home that not only had you... You had left me my cushions, which was very nice. You'd also left all the wrapping from the inside of the box in the back of my car, which I have to tell you, I did not super appreciate. Ah, uh, listen, there was way, there's <laughs> loads more wrapping here. Don't worry about it. I was like it. the cheek of her. Do you not still have that skip? No, the skip's long gone. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, bad absolutely timing. brat. I know. All right. I'm Beatrice. I'm Rosemary. And this has been... Not without, not without my sister. sister. Oh, your sister. My sister. Not without my sister. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the professionalism. Thank you all for listening. If you have time and are that way inclined, we'd really appreciate if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, if you have an Apple device. 
an and you iPad, can, you can tell that iPhone. I particularly would really appreciate it. I am very, very keen on these ratings and reviews. She Thank loves, you. She loves a good review. Thank you she for listening. Have, she, loves to, she loves to have a review sent for in the afternoon. I do. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> and we will catch you next week with another episode of Not Without My Sister. Not Without My Sister is produced by Liam Garrity. Sound editing and original music by Don Kirkland. And our original illustration is by Lindsay Nielsen. Not Without My Sister is a member of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. As is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You'll find more great shows at thewarren.ie.